everybody and welcome back to another episode of Terry Talks Fiction. Today we have an interview with author Anthony O'Connor. Listeners may recognise Anthony as the author of Strayer, which was a book reviewed on the podcast and chatted about with Anthony himself in a pair of podcasts back in 2021. Today, Anthony joins us again because there have been some developments in the world of Strayer, the novel, and Anthony's here to tell us a little bit about them. So with no further ado, here we go. Anthony, welcome back to the show. It's been a while since we talked last. Uh, hey, man. Uh, yeah, it has been a bit over a year, I think. I think I was here a year and, a, and a, maybe a month or two talking about Australia right when we launched or just before launch or something like that. Yeah, I think it was pretty close to launch for you. And obviously, uh, a lot of things have changed about the book and its journey and your own since then as well. Yeah, it's been quite the year. I mean, there was also plague going on. So it's, it's sort of... Um... It's been ups and down. I'll preface this by saying neither Stephen King nor John Grisham need to, you know, need to worry. They're not going to be unduly vexed. Uh, but it's it's been it's been for a self-published indie kind of um, weird, quirky book. It's been doing quite well. A lot of people have been really nice about it and have read it, sort of telling their friends and whatnot. And uh, we've just started the early, very very early stages of, of developing it into an animated series with some amazingly talented people. So yeah, it's it's been it's been exciting. Yeah, that's some very exciting news. Obviously, beginning a, an animated series around a novel is not something that sort of just happens. I imagine that you've had to do quite a lot of back-end work to sort of get that ball rolling as things have been going. The director who's in charge of the project, this is someone you've worked with a lot before though, I understand through your other your earlier screenwriting stuff. So there's, at the moment, there's really three of us. There's, there's a few more people, but we're still sort of, uh, we're not announcing them quite yet, but the people that we have announced at the moment is obviously myself, a bloke named Jonathan Green, who is a producer um, and a, a dear friend of mine who has pretty much, I think, since the 90s or early 2000s has been at least a co-producer uh, or co-writer on um, many projects we've done together. Uh, Red Ink, I guess, was the sort of, the biggest one recently, which we, we wrote together, that kind of um, slasher movie set in an office. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, we've, we've worked together for years. I've actually got a book coming out later this year, which we co-wrote the original screenplay of, which got picked up but never got um, actually made. So it's great to work with Jonathan again, of course. And we've got a bloke by the name of uh, Robertino Zembrano, who is a Academy Award shortlisted animator, and just a major talent. Like, he's, he's just an absolute gun. Um, his stuff is incredible. And he just loved the project. Like, just his eyes lit up. I, I think there's a certain type of person that just really grocks with anything that's post-apocalyptic and a bit different from the usual. And it's, it's a small group. Like, it's, not, it's a niche audience, absolutely. But if you're part of that audience, you're just like, yes. Uh, and, I, and I suspect that was the case with Robertino. So we're sort of... We're kind of assembling episodes. Obviously, I'm, you know, doing the, the writing part of it. So that's, you know, in my wheelhouse. Uh, and, you know, we're also trying to get sketches done and drill down on the style, how it's going to look and whatnot. It's basically all the fiddly stuff that you do at the early stages of um, putting together a series. But it's been a, a really interesting and a challenging kind of process because 
you get used to writing a story in a certain way, which in the case of Australia is this sort of first-person narration, very much like a, a campfire story or just a yarn in the pub where some loquacious bloke is just banging on and on. And then to try and translate that to a visual medium is uh, it's, it's very different. It's a very different set of skills. And it's been, it's been really interesting to kind of dig into those and use that to adapt the existing material. Yeah, I can imagine the, um, the split between certainly the way that you picture something in your mind's eye when you're reading and the way that you then have to communicate all that information on the actual screen to someone as well would be a, an interesting challenge to split the difference between those two poles. I mean, the first line of the book is, I was scavenging in the waterlogged shopping mall when the mongrels began to chant. Now, that, that works as a first line because you're like, all right, I, I accept all this, but you don't need to see it. But to convey that same message, I need to establish what the shopping mall is, what scavenging is, uh, what scrap is, and who the hell the mongrels are. So it's, there's a lot of kind of visual storytelling that needs to be engaged, especially in animation. Because I think in a movie, you can kind of get away with, uh, I don't want to say spelling things out, because I don't want to do that in the animation either. But you can get away with, with leaving people a bit more confused for a while. But the animation is going to be shortish episodes sort of 20 to 25 minutes. People don't want to be confused in that span of time. So it's got to be quite precise with how you deal out information and whatnot. I'd really like to sort of get into talking a bit about the process of how you've got the ball rolling and got the people involved and everything sort of as we go on. But you said something that I found was really, really engaging there just, um, just a few minutes ago. And that was the idea of that you're working as the writer as part of, you know, a multi-person team. I can imagine how that must be much different to just authorial writing full stop. Because normally, you know, if you've got editors or um, extra readers in the alpha or beta stages, it's still a very sort of king on top of the mountain approach when you're doing a novel. As you're writing the or adapting the novel into the into the episodic storytelling format, is that a similar sort of approach still where you're sort of the one calling the story shots or because there's so many of those other factors at play, does that, is that where sort of producer and director sort of step in with their parts to say about where the story should go as well? Thus far, because, um, again, very early days, uh, thus far it's been mainly me acting in the role of showrunner, although um, Jonathan in particular, because we've had a working relationship for years, has been extremely eloquent about um, what he reckons works and what doesn't and will continue to do so. I mean, so I really got my start writing in screenplays uh, in 1996, 97, when um, I first sold the screenplay for a script called Angst, which came out in 2000. So I'm very used to having a property kind of dissected and, and taken in different directions by people on the team. I guess with Straya, it is a little unusual because it went from one man in a room to, well, now three men in a room and more and more as, as we sort of go on because the, the team's slowly getting bigger. There will be more of a, a collaborative, collaborative vibe. But I think that's good. I think that that makes sense because it is something that books are very personal and very intimate and, and you're in this sort of zone and it's basically you and the author are in this kind of two-way conversation. Whereas something like an animated series is designed to be watched by a, groups of people in small rooms or large rooms around the world uh, on couches. So there is a different, a different style of storytelling. 
and you know you're going to have voice actors in there you're going to have animators bringing their kind of vibe to it as well so you do need to be open to collaboration uh there are certain things though that i think uh we've sort of written a, a bible a pitch bible for things that need to happen and so certain things have to happen a certain way certain characters would definitely not do this or that um so that there are sort of established lines that can't be crossed but I think anyone who doesn't at least leave themselves open to a bit of uh, criticism, a bit of constructive discussion is a bit of an idiot. You've, you've got to remain open to that, particularly on a, on a project that will be quite large when it sort of hits those um, pre-production stages. Fair enough. It's something that actually struck me while I was reading it. And certainly once I uh, saw that it was being turned into an animated series, but Australia as it's in as of itself really seems to be lending itself to a very episodic structure because there you've got probably there's probably a good at least four or five almost self-contained sections to the story where you've as you say there's the opening section there's when ken and franger are going on their adventure and then later on when other things happen that i don't want to spoil too much here those self-contained sort of little areas was that would you say that was more of a maybe a holdover of that early screenwriting habit of yours or was it something that you had in mind for future like thinking thinking of future adaptations or other things you could do with the work and bled a little into the writing i can't say that i was ever quite as um, future looking to sort of specifically design it to work well as a screenplay or or adapting into a, a movie or tv format but i think like a lot of people my age particularly i think gen x's have a real ingrained kind of fundamental sense of story based on tv and movies that they've sort of watched over and over again in their lives and it's almost it's almost that you can't help it it's like when you read books prior to the 1970s and they're so different in the way they style things like they it's like letters Very going back and forth block, yeah dance blocks like the chapters go forever you can't just kind of read one while you're on the train you're like oh shit i gotta i'm here for a good hour and a half whereas sort of modern fiction tends to veer into more episodic uh vignettes or nuggets or or what have you and i think that that's a lot of the the way we consume media these days i mean god knows what's what book's going to be like in in 20 years from now it's just going to be like you know written tiktoks or something monstrous but so I, I think fundamentally that is a part of how I view story and structure and, and that kind of stuff. The fact that it does work well in that screenplay context is great, and I, I think that's really going to help us. It certainly helped us so far in terms of planning out when the episode break should be and what what you know the three act structure is and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I think it's an ingrained thing. I suspect people my age who didn't spend their youth almost exclusively watching horror movies in a dark room would maybe not have. It to quite the same extent but um yeah i do so yeah that's how that ends up happening with um with some of that early stuff and you're mentioning getting uh, eventually getting the animators on board and things how much is that styling that you're talking about obviously it's a very important part of a visual medium i personally would have said that like that stray the book has a, an incredible and very distinct sense of style mostly delivered through the language uh, but also through like the world building is is quite distinctive. Is that something that the animation is going to have to change a little, do you think? Or are you ever going to be able to sort of keep that identity sort of rolling forward? Basically, this is a long way of asking how many times do you think that the animators are going to get away with uh, 
getting Franger's and everybody else's mouths wrapped around the word cunts. Dear gentle listener, I'm just popping in to give you a reminder that the word cunts in the strayer context is the word spelled C-U-N-C-E, a bastardization in future speak of, well, the word it sounds like, which being repeated maybe every third word gives the language of Straya a very distinct personality, but which is a distinction perhaps more obvious when you're reading it rather than when you're saying it. <laughs> uh, I do know there were early discussions uh, about, you know, do we, do we need to have characters? Sorry, I have to move my cat because <clears throat> mine's just making a mess. Uh, there were definitely discussions um, early on, uh, but there was some concern that the word cunts is going to be a barrier for, you know, certain streamers or certain people. And I agree that that's the case, but I think if it doesn't have that level of kind of uh, in-your-face vulgar nastiness to offset the pathos and the emotion, I, I just don't think it's stray then. There's definitely that aspect of... Where do you sort of have the line and where do you draw the line? In terms of style in, in a visual medium, I mean, I think we're still open to how it's going to look. Like we've, we've obviously had some art done and some potential styles, but we're still looking. We're still trying to find what suits it best. So if you're asking me what I, I specifically would want it to look like, I, I think, again, I'm kind of chained by the generation I come from. Like to me, it's sort of peaked with stuff like Akira. So in my head, it's, it's 2D animation, very beautiful and ugly at the same time, that kind of slightly cyberpunkish aesthetic. But then you look at a show like Arcane on Netflix, which is a, a League of Legends sort of spin-off game. I've never played League of Legends, but it's, it's, it's a fantastic show and it's gorgeous and it's mostly 3D animated and everyone kind of looks like this weird painterly mannequin, but in a, in a really evocative way. And then every now and then they'll have like a splatter of two-dimensional blood sort of spilling across the screen. And I just think, God, that's so, so vivid and so unexpected. So I, I'd absolutely be open to that kind of thing as well. It's really, it, it's finding the style and the aesthetic that mirrors and suits the material. Uh, and and I, I don't think you want to be too slavish with the, the source material. You've, you've got to sort of pull and push and, and, and find the way that works best for the story. Yeah, that's my, that's my sort of rather shambling, uh, rambling answer to the question. Look, I, I don't know how much we can get away with. I do know that The Boys is uh, one of the biggest shows in the world currently, and that swears and has more violence in it than uh, anything I think I've seen on, uh, on TV before. And they've got a spin-off animation show, Diabolical, which continues that tradition. So I think whole generations of kids have now grown up to be adults who still like cartoons but would rather like some sex and violence in it. So I just hope there's enough of us to kind of warrant um, keeping it real. Sex and violence and, uh, and yeah, uh, sweary words uh, certainly seem like the wheelhouse uh, if <laughs> going down this oh, Absolutely. I mean... You've got to have heart, and that's, that's really at the core of it, but you, you are in this post-apocalyptic world where things are nasty and grim and vulgar. And I think the, the vulgar is, is a really key part of the Australian ethos is, um, you know, it, it's that kind of subversive, larrikin-like piss-taking of, of things, of sacred cows and things that, that other people hold dear. 
Uh, and I think without that, then you're not really servicing what Australia truly is. You say that um, that you've had these discussions, obviously, with uh, the other people that are involved with the project now. Um, that seems like it might be a good sort of way to segue into talking about how it was like bringing these uh, other people on board and getting and getting the ball rolling. Was this an idea that you took to them or was this an idea that they brought to you or you're out for beers at a pub one night and uh, instead, of, instead of, you know, we should make a band, it became we should do an animated series? So we were approached by a couple of producers who we haven't talked about yet. We we're sort of talking about them a little bit further down the line. And they were sort of talking about, hey, wouldn't it make a great TV series? And we thought, yeah, I mean, that's, that's great, but uh, it's a surprisingly solid selling indie book, but it's still niche as hell. You would need hundreds of millions of dollars to make it look good, and you'd probably need about $50 million just to make it look bad. So this was not something that we could see happening like that. And they were like, no, 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 we mean like an animated show, like some kind of animated cartoon story. And you sort of tell the book through that lens or you, you adapt the book in, in however, however way you want. And so it just got thinking on that because as much as I've always loved animation, I just, I hadn't really considered it. Weirdly enough, my mum actually said it would make a good cartoon before even that. But, you know, I just kind of went, I guess, whatever. And uh, yeah, so she, she kind of she kind of saw that first, I think. It's not just that too. It's like shows that are that wild and that out there tend not to work in live action so well. I mean, you see the, the, the number of anime shows that Netflix seems to get and tries to translate them to um, live action. They just don't work. There's something missing. Uh, I think maybe Edgar Wright with the Scott Pilgrim movie came closest to being able to kind of translate that aesthetic into a movie. But, I mean, that tanked. I mean, as, as much as it's a beloved cult film, it, it absolutely bombed at the box office. So, yeah, I, I think animation is the logical place to go. We've had other discussions with other people, though, who are like, yeah, no, you should, you should try live action for a movie or something. Um, so, you know, these are all discussions that are happening as we go along. But um, it, I guess... To answer your question, is we were approached initially and kind of went, yeah, that's a pretty good idea, and we kind of just thought, well, let's 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 see, let's see what we can do. Yeah, basically, it, it, yeah, it was uh, brought to us, and then it was one of those ideas that you hear, and you're like, yeah, that could actually work. Everything sort of just seemed to click into place once you started thinking about it. In that, yeah, in that's story. right, that's right. I mean, adult animation is huge now; like, it's so huge. Uh, and and it's you know you got A-listers in uh, Invincible, Stephen Ewan and uh, oh god who's the guy he plays J Jonah Jameson. Um, oh yes, J.K. Simmons. Yes, J.K. Simmons. That's him. J.K. Simmons, absolutely. And you know this this is and, and like the rest of the cast is absurd. And yeah, so I, I think there's a there's a real hunger for for adult material in that arena. And why not Straya? I have to admit, when when I did see it, my thoughts immediately went to the the new Harley Quinn animated series. Which oh yeah, that's that's a really good one too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, think of that because it, again, it's sort of got a bit of a post apocalyptic vibe in the um, particularly the second season. Yeah, so, yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, yeah, no, I I watched that as my Saturday morning cartoon now with my partner, and and she and I like we we miss Saturday morning cartoons. But then when you try to watch some of the updated ones, like we started watching the He-Man series, we got about halfway through and it was, it was like, I just, it really is just a, an advertisement for toys. And that's, that's why I liked it when I was a kid, but I'm not a kid now. 
Uh, whereas Harley Quinn is this kind of witty, but, but similar to Straya, there's a lot of swearing, there's a lot of violence, but at its core, it's about two people who love each other and a, a, a sort of you know makeshift family group that are, are very loving of one another. And I think that's what you know makes those sort of stories work. You've got an element of heart to all the horror. I guess it gives you a good excuse now to sit down for those Saturday morning cartoon uh, things as well, because now it's all market research and you can be That's saying, right. oh, I've got a really good reason to be watching all these. I am I am working, which is why I'm in my tracky dacks watching cartoons <laughs> at midday. <laughs> Sounds like a perfect, uh, perfect way That's to spin okay. it to me. <laughs> but I did want to ask yeah. if um, with getting the series uh, going, do you, do you see like, book one of Straya, so the book that we all sort of know and love at this point, as a fully contained series uh, in and of itself with book two and book three down the line being a new series of the show? Or did you sort of see it maybe splitting it up somewhere in the middle for series to give? And there's also obviously got to be a a time factor here as well. Um, I'm not sure how long it took you to write Straya once you really sort of sat down and went from start to finish. but with production times for the uh, cartoon series, I can sort of maybe see a bit of a risk of games of throwing it and uh, having one series get really out of sync with the other. Do you see that that might be an issue going forward as well? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. No one wants to games of, Game of Thrones it. Um, that, that is sort of, you know, now the industry fear. Now that I've kind of established the parameters of Australia, I think probably each subsequent book can be sort of delivered within a year or so. I'm quite far into the second book, just quietly. So I'm still ahead of the curve. But in terms of the rule that we're talking about at the moment is one season per book. So season one will be the entirety of Straya and, you know, a few other little bits that we've sort of got in to add colour and whatnot. And the second season, if we're lucky enough to get one, would be second book and third book, fourth book, fifth book, so on. Um, At the moment, there's kind of a a five-season arc that we've got based on one finished book, one very close to finished book and three books that are still, you know, ephemeral outlines and that kind of stuff. So that, that's what we're talking about in terms of how long each one will be. Having said that, if we do get picked up to series and it does last more than one season, I mean, my job then will be to deliver the book and screenplays concurrently because, again, you just don't want to end up in that situation. And to be fair to, to poor old George, the density of those books compared to Straya, which is, you know, 300-odd pages compared to his kind of 1,200-page, dense, detail-rich, historically enhanced tomes, is, uh, it's a very different kettle of fish. I actually sympathise with the dude a lot because it, it must suck that everywhere you go, everyone is just like, dude, where's, what do you, where's the book? Where, where, where are the books, George? At the same time, he's taken like a crazy amount of time to do it. So I can also understand and empathise with the fans. You don't want to end up in that situation. And, and uh, look, if, if I can avoid that, I absolutely will. But that's the plan. Five season arc. If, you know, if people still want to watch it beyond that, I'm sure we can find reason. Um, but that's that's the plan at this stage. Five books, five seasons. Yeah, I mean, that would be amazing. Amazing and unlikely because the thing is so many things can go wrong between now and a potential, you know, release date. So I, I do want to temper people's expectations because it's super exciting. But at the same time, uh, anyone in any film industry, but particularly the Australian film industry, film and TV industry, 
will tell you that, yeah, your, your project can get started, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to get finished. So hopefully everything going well and, and life being a, a beautiful thing, uh, that will be the case. You've hit on a really uh, important point, I think, too, because from a creator standpoint, how do you manage that, I guess, suspension uh, of knowing where the project might or might not go? As you say, even if everything goes perfectly well and you get that first season out, then um, you've still got the the added weight uh, then of, you know, how well will it perform? Who's going to, if people are going to watch it and if that's going to allow, you know, the second season to be greenlit at all. How does that sort of sit with you? Because it's similar to the feeling I, I guess an author will, will have when they're putting their book out into the world. And there's, a you know, again, when you've got a series planned out, it, it still depends a lot on how things are going to perform as to if you're going to continue writing in that, down that line. But does it feel different or does it feel sort of the same or...? Uh, I mean, look, I'm an old hand at this. Um, my first film, Angst, that we were talking about before, came out in 2000, and I think all 18 people that saw it thought it was quite good. So I, I've lived through I've lived through all of those scenarios. I've lived through stuff that came close to being made and then wasn't made. I've lived through stuff that got made and then kind of people were like, yeah, that's fine. I mean, Angst became a, a surprisingly big hit on video. It was the most stolen video from, from various video stores. This is before piracy, right? Like this is before piracy was a thing. Definitely before it was ubiquitous, particularly amongst Australians. So I, all these video shops would call in and say, we've had all our copies of Angst stolen because it was this kind of shambling stoner comedy about, you know, horror movie addicts and, um, you know, sex jokes and, and dick and fart humour. But yeah, it was, it was that kind of cult film. But yeah, having that come out and people just kind of go, huh, uh, it's not great. It doesn't feel good, but it's, it's part of the gig. It's part of, of what you have to do. And if Straya, the animated series comes out and the first season is, uh, you know, is, is fully made and released and like, again, 18 people watch it, that will be sad. But that's still a season of television that got made. Like, I, I like a lot of shows that lasted one season. I like Firefly. I like Caprica. Do you remember the Battlestar Galactica spin-off Caprica that lasted, like, one season? To my great shame, Battlestar Galactica is one of those mean to get around to forevers. Oh, really? You should do it. Well, actually, I don't know. I say that, and then you watch something that's even, like, 10 years old, and you're like, oof, Jesus. <laughs> so I don't know if it's one of those. But, yeah, it, it had this great spin-off series that, that was uh, probably a little bit too brainy and a little bit too slow for its own good. Um, but I loved it, and, it, you know, it got axed after one season. It's sad, but at the same time, at least you got to get in the ring. And I still think that's a, 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 a better scenario than if you don't get to get in the ring at all. So. It would definitely suck. In, in obviously, you want this thing to to be able to tell its whole story, but you know sometimes that just just doesn't happen. So I guess you know we'll see. I, I don't think anyone really deals with it particularly well. I think you just minimise dealing with it badly. Fair enough. You do obviously wrap a lot of emotion and uh, and a lot of yourself into the project. So it, I can yeah, that's right. You, you, you kind of have to, um, otherwise it doesn't really resonate with people the same way. And yeah, it, it hurts. Anything that you, you, any creative endeavor that you spend a lot of time on not reaching its fullest potential is sad. But um, I mean, yeah, that, that, that shouldn't stop you from at least trying. Later on this year, uh, you said you had another, you've, you know, you've got another book coming out. Is that the same, the YA book, the one that you were saying is you, one that's, that you were previously done as a screenplay? That's, that's the one. Uh, so Jonathan Green and I wrote uh, a screenplay called Manifestation which was this kind of 
horror story about uh, a woman who dies and then gets stuck in this haunted hotel uh, where there's sort of there's there's good ghosts and there's evil ghosts and it's a whole thing and it sort of started sort of tone wise kind of American wealth and Londony there was a sort of horror comedy vibe and it just people weren't picking up what we were putting down and so we kind of pulled the age down a bit and changed some aspects of it uh, and it became Emma After which was I guess skewed a bit younger, still sort of horror adjacent, but not quite as grisly. And that was, it was The Shining meets Beetlejuice, except you're on the side of the ghosts because it's ghosts having their hotel ruined by humans or the living coming into it. And that, that sort of got much more kind of traction. It actually won an award. I'm not even going to remember. It's from the Animal Logic guys did a... Um, screenplay kind of competition and the, the prize was you know you, you get notes from some people in the industry and a bit of money and, and all that kind of stuff and it was one of the ones that didn't completely win but it was one of the runner-ups and yeah so that that was obviously people were, were feeling it more in, in that kind of direction but still it was still a big budget proposition you'd, you'd need kind of 40 to 60 million dollars to make it look good because there were these shambling ghosts that kind of like almost like zombies that are kind of roaming the, the outside of this hotel and it's this enormous sprawling hotel and multiple cast members and whatnot we were sort of sitting with it and like no one's no one's going to make this uh and jonathan had the idea to to turn it into a book and he goes you, sh- you should do that um and i really didn't want to but eventually he, he kind of sort of tricked me into it and um yeah, I ended up uh, really loving it. I, I never thought that I would write something YA. As you can probably tell from Australia, you know, my, my interests lie in, in kind of um, sweary, violent, bloody, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but then you read something like Marlon Nunn's uh, When the Ground is Hard, and you realise that the word or the, the acronym YA needn't mean kind of twee, Twilight-esque shenanigans. Actually, I've never read Twilight. I shouldn't. I shouldn't slag off the book. It, it, you know, it resonated with people, so there must be something to it. So, yeah, it's this kind of this, this young woman in a small country town is afraid that she's going to be stuck there for the rest of her life, uh, and then she dies there, kind of proving herself right, and kind of awakens into this ethereal netherworld where, you know, hungry ghosts are sort of, you know, crawling around and, and chasing her. And the only place that is safe is this hotel, which becomes a safe haven, she starts to form a relationship with, uh, you know, a bloke who runs the joint and then living people come into the hotel because they've bought it and want to renovate it. It's the kind of battle between them. Uh, you know, it's a bit of a love story. It's a bit of a ghost story. It's funny in parts. There's there's lots of different ghosts from different eras. It's very Australian without being kind of straya Australian. It's much more, I don't want to say realistic because it's about ghosts, but um, I, I guess more grounded and less... Um, future looking and we're planning to have that out i think on halloween because it's sort of ghosty and that kind of stuff so yeah it's 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 a different proposition to stray uh, although it does it does share elements of heart and humor as well as horror so it's you know it's a good time but yes very different this is this is not stray or two or anything like that it's really but, interesting know. to hear that it had basically the opposite journey of what we've been talking about australia uh australia had today um where it started off as the screenplay and worked its way into a novel. Um, <laughs> that is exactly you know, right. That is exactly right. Sort of doing and a it's, uh, pancake flip. It's such a different thing too, because, you know, in the screenplay, Emma, who's our lead character, sort of says things like, oh, I, you know, I didn't have many friends at school. You can get away with that in a film because who cares? Like it's just a, a throwaway moment that kind of explains away the fact that she doesn't have a bunch of friends, you know, looking for her all morning for her. 
But in a book, you kind of need to know why and what the dynamics were in this small country town and why she didn't have more friends because she's a nice person and, and stuff like that. So you get to dig deep into a lot of those kind of things. Plus, I mean, I, I grew up in a lot of um, small to medium country style places, uh, small towns. So I got to relive a lot of that kind of growing up, being the weird, pale, bookish uh, nerd amongst people who were none of those things. And uh, yeah, that's always, I don't want to say it's fun to revisit, but it's interesting to revisit and kind of recontextualize it to a story, you know, about an 18-year-old girl, which I am steadfastly none of those things. So yeah, it's been, it's been a really interesting one. I think it's, I think it's really nice. Uh, I, think, uh, I think people will like it. If, if you can get past the fact that it's, it's technically YA or, or could be read as YA, and you know, don't be a snob. Get into it. It'll be interesting, yeah, seeing where that audience lies, like what subset of your audience you're bringing with you and what you're picking up for, of new readers who are coming up through the YA ranks. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I really don't know. Um, I hope people who like Straya will, will take the chance. I mean, maybe if they've got of age kids that are, you know, 13 to 15 to 18, or I, I don't really know why ranges, you know, give it to your kid and then you can read it yourself. I know a lot of adults that read YA fairly religiously too. So I think the, the stigma is perhaps not quite there as much as it used to be. I think it's like horror movies. People always tar horror movies with the brush of the worst horror movie they've ever seen they're like well this was a piece of shit therefore all horror movies are a piece of shit i think you know they, they look at twilight or whatever one they didn't like like one of the sub twilight ripoffs and they're like no, don't, is there? it's like yeah every genre has terrible things in it um it would be like judging all action films from michael bay it just that's not that's not everyone so yeah, there's there's good stuff in the genre, and hopefully people will find that this is one of them. In in terms of who the audience will be, I I have no idea. I guess we'll find out. Well, I still know I'm looking forward to reading it. So, and I've uh, Thanks, as we say, have done more than my fair share of YA reading as well for uh for various review purposes. And yeah, with my other podcast uh, that I do with a romance author. Um, have been reading a lot of romance novels for that, which was uh, ah. took me a while to get over my inherent bias uh, going into that. Uh, as you say, judging things by uh, you know the worst possible examples that everyone likes to make fun of. So, I think we're we're all because there's there's quite a quite a bit of romance in Emma After, and I think we've kind of conditioned ourselves to be a bit embarrassed about it about romance in general, which is a very American thing. I feel which is kind of. Like, why, why be embarrassed about that? These things are lovely. We should be nice and, and, and romantic. And it's, it's not a bad way to be. Again, bad romance is pretty terrible, but they're not all that. I think it's interesting too, as you say, bringing a lot of the TV and movie ideas across, like what we've grown up with and what we, can, what we consume so much of. I mean, that is mostly American for, for one thing with yeah. all of those, the, the American inherent biases there. But you don't get a good movie or a TV series without a romance plot in it somewhere. Right. You know, it, the, those are the sort of, like, even if it's just, if it's just the, the, the two really, really good friends who are, uh, their bond is getting them through difficult times. You've got that. There's always a level of just emotional human connection through things. So to, um, it makes sense to have that in, in other media as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are we are social creatures as much as I've tried to disprove that with every aspect of my being. We are drawn to one another. 
even if you know you, you like that in small doses we we are a communal species and it, it's you know it's it's no bad thing to reflect on that well, Anthony, thank you again so much for coming on uh, today and, and speaking with us about the journey that Australia's had from book to uh, or the beginnings of uh, the long journey towards uh, the small screen. And- Terry, thanks for having us. Like, uh, honestly, you, you were, I think you were one of my, if not my first, one of my first, like one of the first one or two uh, interviews I, I had when the book came out and your reviews and support on social media and everything have really meant a lot. You've been such a mensch. Uh, and I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Anthony. Touched to hear that. So we'll look forward to Emma after coming out later on this year and hearing more as more and more things can be announced. We'll uh, excitedly wait for that. Awesome, man. Thanks very much. So that was our interview with Anthony O'Connor, author of Straya the Novel and Nascent TV series, and also author of Emma After, coming out hopefully on Halloween 2022. If you missed uh, Anthony's initial podcast interview about Straya the book or my review of Straya, those are both available on this podcast. I've put a link in the show notes uh, so you can just click through if you're interested in hearing those. And of course, if you're interested in picking up and reading a copy of Straya, I've included a link to where you can find that in the show notes as well. Next time on the Terry Talks Fiction Podcast, we have a book review of The Rakan's Familiar by Nikki Lee. I really enjoyed this story and especially its world building and magic system, so I look forward to going through that in detail with you guys on the next Terry Talks Fiction. Have a great week everyone, and we'll talk again real soon.